Good morning. There's, there's just some mornings, I mean, I know we should, I should say it's like every morning, every Sunday morning, but there's some Sunday mornings that worship is just really, really special, and that was such, that was, that was good worship, team. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Jessie. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I am so excited to get to be speaking with you. We had, if you missed it, we had an incredible Vine stock. If you got to watch online, it was awesome. If you got to be there in person, we had so much fun. And I loved it because Pastor Joe had a fresh word for us, that word from Ezekiel about dry bones coming back to life. In um, Ezekiel 37, it says, my people will know that I am Lord, when I open your graves and bring you from them, I will put my spirit in you. You will live. And I love that. That's where we're headed, Vineyard. We are, if we have been going through this year and it has felt like dry and hard and we are dead inside, that is a word for us. God wants to breathe new life into us. He wants to bring people out of graves and out of darkness. And that's what we're going to, to talk about this morning. So, at the risk of praying a lot, which you might expect at church, I just quick want to pray over this message and, and over what God wants to say to us today. So, Lord, we just come before you, and you know what you have, have put on my heart, but God, I just put it all at your feet and say, have your way. Would you just take me out of the picture and put your words in into my mouth. Let our hearts be open. Make us brave, Lord, to not hide from you the places that you might want to speak to us. Breathe life into dry bones. Put your life into our hearts and our mouths. Let us be a people, an entire church that not only carries your spirit, but that speaks it and spreads it everywhere that we go and begin it in us. Begin revival in our hearts. Begin repentance and reconciliation here. And we just say, have your way this morning. Amen. All right, I'm pretty excited that I get to speak the last Sunday of October, not to freak you out, but we're coming down to the end of the year, because I have been going in my personal time, I've been going through the Gospels, and I'm, I'm like almost done with Luke, and I told Pastor Joe, it's kind of perfect that I get to speak the Sunday before Halloween, because every time I have read this parable, not a parable, every time I've read this story, of Jesus encountering a demon-possessed man, I just get more and more out of it. And so I was like, well, how perfect for that. If we're in Halloween, we're in the time when people are like excited or enthralled with the idea of spirits and fear. And, and this is such a good reminder that the spirit world is real. We do believe that there's the kingdom of heaven and there is a kingdom of darkness. And I mean, I'm not saying like zombies are real, although it's 2020. I wouldn't put anything past us at this point. I feel like if you really want to get me riled up, let's talk about aliens. Let's talk about the fact that the government admitted that there are aliens and nobody cares. I'm, I just have a lot of feelings about it. And so I just figure, how, how would zombies be that different? I feel like if they came out and they were like, zombies are real, we'd be like, okay, there should be another space force or dead force or something. We'll just suit up and we'll take care of this problem. Bring it on. What else, what else can happen? But I want to talk about a man who was demon-possessed. It was real. And that Jesus is still Lord. Over everything that's going on, he is still Lord. The kingdom of heaven bows to him. All of creation bows to him. Every knee has to bow, even the kingdom that is coming against us. So if you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark 5 today. 
And if you didn't, we're going to have it on the screen. All of our scriptures are always there. If you like to take notes, this is going to be a great time for that. But once upon a time, there was a man who was broken. There was a man who was separated from his family. He was separated from his community. He had been inhabited and taken control of by an entity that was not his own. He was making choices that were not his own. He was tortured. He was humiliated. And he was not anywhere near Jesus. And Jesus knew about that man and went and saved him. That's our story today. In Mark 5, Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell how much the Lord has done for you, for he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. So one of the reasons I think I like this story so much is because this is not a Jewish community. This is not a Jewish man who Jesus spends most of his time teaching. This is just a person who is actually on the opposite side of a lake from where Jesus is teaching. This is a Gentile area, and we know that because they are taking care of what? Pigs. Pigs are unclean. So one pig would have been bad enough. But if you've got 2,000 pigs, we can be pretty sure that you are not Jewish because you had no reason being around them. We don't eat them. We don't have anything to do with pigs. And Jesus is teaching to these Jewish people and telling them parables and telling them about the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, he decides to get into his boat and go across the lake to 
this random area that is filled with Gentiles. And on the way there, that's when we see the storm come up, and the disciples are like, ha, ha, we're going to die, save us, and Jesus is sleeping. And then he wakes up, and he says, peace be still, and then they're there. So, by the way, if you're taking notes, just because a storm comes up when you're on your way doesn't mean you should stop. It doesn't even mean you should freak out. Maybe it means you should just say, you know what? Peace be still. I'm on a mission. That was for free. That wasn't even part of my plan. You're welcome. But I love that reminder. Nobody, nobody else knew about this man. He's nothing special, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew that across this lake, there's a man who is broken and hurting and being tortured and, and humiliated by the kingdom of darkness, and he's going to go rescue as I was preparing this, this story, last, last week a friend of mine came over for coffee and she was telling me about an episode of a TV show that she watches and how there had been a series of questions that a doctor had asked a patient and it was really speaking to her and God was using it and it was Grey's Anatomy. And I'm like, I watched, Grey's Anatomy is like 37 years old. I don't even know what season they're on. I know I watched it when I was in college and now I'm hanging out with college people and they're watching it. But dadgummit, if they weren't really good questions. And so I texted her later, and I was like, listen, just, just tell me about it. I don't want to watch the episode, but tell me about it. And, and God did really use it. There's, of course, there's an accident. There's a big dramatic surgery. And the patient has to wake up. And then the doctor is going to say these three questions so the, the patient can decide what they want to do with the rest of their life. And these are the questions I think God has for you today. I think there are three questions, and I don't know if you feel like you have been in a car crash. 2020 has just been a car crash, and you are waking up and trying to figure out what you're going to do from here. I don't know if you feel like everything's been going totally fine, but this is what I know. God wants you to think about to answer these questions today. So let's talk about number one. Do you know who you are? That's a, that's a valid question to ask the, the, a person when they're waking up. And the first thing I thought about was the office when, if you're familiar, Jim's always pranking Dwight. And there's that one episode of The Office where he comes in and he's dressed as Dwight and he sits down and he's like, which bears are best? Bears eat beets. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. And then Dwight's like, Michael, identity theft is not a joke, Jim. And it's my favorite because identity matters. Do you know who you are? We put a lot of, of emphasis on identity. It's what makes us special. It's what makes us singular. When people are born, they get fingerprinted. We measure them. We give them a legal document. We name them. You get a social security number. This is who you are. And this is what makes you different from everybody else. You matter. Your identity, your singular identity is what shows that you are not just one of the same of a million. You matter. You are different. Our digital identity is, is something that we protect as well as we can. Aren't you always trying to remember your password? Oh, my gosh. We're always trying to, to prove to a robot computer or to somebody that we are who we say we are, but it's for good reason, so that someone else cannot come in and make a decision for us. That's exactly what demon possession is. It's an entity coming into this man and making decisions for him, trying to take control of him and diminish the divine likeness of God, making him forget who he is. 
In verse 9, Jesus says, what is your name? Who's he talking to? He's ta- I think he's talking to both. He's talking to the demon, but he's also reminding the man, what is your name? Do you remember who you are? Do you remember that this is not who you are? Naked, living among the dead in tombs, beaten and bruised and separated, this is not who you are. But he doesn't get to answer. Satan is coming for him. This man has been suffering. He's been taken away, and Jesus wants to remind him. One of my favorite books is called uh, Fervent, and it's by a lady named Priscilla Shirer, and it's about prayer. And she's, each chapter, she's dealing with a different um, way that the enemy comes against us to distract us from our purpose here. And this is what she says about identity. If I were your enemy, I'd devalue your strength and magnify your insecurities until they dominate how you see yourself. Disabling and disarming you from fighting back, from being free, from being who God created you to be. I'd work hard to ensure you never realize what God has given you so that you'll doubt the power of God within you. And that, that strikes me so hard. That is exactly what the enemy wants to do. If he can distract us, if he can make us forget who we are and why we're here, if he can make us think that it's about position or it's about our job or if it's about our, the things that we do just in our everyday life and, and consume us with that, then he wins. But that is not what God created us to be. And I have to tell you what God, God says about you because I don't know what lies you hear, but this is what God says about you. In Genesis 1.27, you were created in the image of God. In John 1.12, you have the right to be a child of God. Jeremiah 1.5, before you were born, you were known, you were chosen, and you were set apart. 1 Peter 1.9, you are royal, you are holy, you are special to God. You have been called out of the darkness and into the light. John 3.16 says you were so loved that Jesus sacrificed his own blameless, perfect life for yours. And in Galatians 3.18, you are equal. We are equal. And then we are in Christ's family. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's handiwork. You have been created for a special purpose. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Romans 8.37, you are more than a conqueror in the power of Christ Jesus. And Psalm 139.14, you are are good. Your body is good. You were created good, and God knew what he was doing. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is past, and the new has come. Do you know who you are? Can you answer that question? It is too easy to get distracted and forget that we are not our things. We are not our shoes. We are not the car that we drive. We are not our accomplishments. We are not our career. We are not the choices of our children, of our friends, of our husbands, of our wives, of our parents, of the people around us. We are not a political party. We are not the good works that we do. We are not the shame that we have hidden. We are children of God. We have been created with a purpose. We've been paid for with the highest price. And we are here on earth to love God, love other people, and tell them who they are. Do you know who you are? That was number one. Number two. Do you know what happened to you? This one was a little tougher for me. I was like, well, of course I know what happened. I'm just me. Nothing really happened. 
But that's not really true, is it? Like, we all have our own story. God has brought us through our own thing, right? Do you know what happened to you? I don't know if you guys know this. I grew up in Oklahoma from ages 8 to 18, so I, I claim Oklahoma. I've lived in places, but whatever. So you might look at me and think, she probably is really good at riding horses. I am not. I can barely stay on a horse to save my life because I wasn't, I just can't. They, they don't seem to really agree with me. I almost died twice, and, and I'm kind of past that. We moved to Kentucky, and I'm not getting on a racehorse anytime soon, so we're good. But the last time that I was on a horse, it didn't go so well for me. I ended up with a concussion, proposed to my best friend who had a very serious girlfriend. And let me tell you something, that is very embarrassing. And I was very thankful that we moved to a different state four days later. It's a good time to move. When you accidentally propose to the guy that you've been secretly in love with all through high school, it's just a good, just move. Just move. God will take you where he will take you, right? But what happened was they, we were, they had this big party at the church. We were about to move to Kentucky, and there's horse riding in the back pasture. And I decide, you know, it's been forever. I almost died a few years ago, but this is my time, right? Not my time. So I get on the horse. Of course, I get on the horse that doesn't want to be ridden. So we're clop, clop, clopping along. And as soon as we get into the pasture a little bit, he bucks me off. I remember cartwheeling through the air. And I managed to land on my head, on my side, who knows where, on this giant half-buried railroad tie. The middle of a wheat field. And I hit my head on the only solid object there. So they bring me back into my parents' and quickly realize I have a concussion because I can't remember the last three days. I do not remember coming home from church camp. I was very concerned about whether or not my team won. And I apparently, it was, it was kind of like being inebriated in that I was saying things without a filter. So I was telling him how like the coach on my team didn't know what he was doing and wasn't athletic. And then it turned out he heard me say that like 15 times. Because as part of my concussion, I would ask about 15 questions and then forget and just start over. So they ended up taking one of my friends, giving her a piece of paper and saying, here's all the questions she's going to ask. Here's the answers. We're done dealing with that kid right now. we got to say goodbye to people. We're ministering. You know, being a church kid is, is hard. Okay. <laughs> but that's what it feels like. Sometimes coming out of a season of life that is not easy feels like coming out of a concussion. You, you're just kind of blinking, and you're like, how did I get here? I just went through this trauma. How did this happen to me? What happened? And in this story, we see the townspeople coming back, and they find Jesus with this man talking in his right mind. The man I love, fully clothed. Some disciple gave him a rope, right? Somebody gave him something. They gave this man his dignity. And I just imagine that he's having this conversation with Jesus where Jesus is walking him through counseling about what he, this is who you really are. This is what happened to you. It's okay. But the question I want to ask, do you know what happened to you, is because if we aren't willing to face the things that have happened to us, Jesus can't heal us. If we're saying, I want to be close to God, I want to be a strong Christian, I want to reach people with the gospel, and we're not willing to say, Lord, if there's some sin in my life, show me. We're not going to grow. 
We have to be brave and courageous enough to face the dark things that have been hiding in our lives, the dark things that we have held on to, or the trauma that either other people have done to us that are consequences of choices that we've made or have no rhyme or reason at all. But I'm telling you, Jesus, just like with this man, is the one who does the healing. We have to know what happened to us and bring it to Jesus in courage. And then the last question, so we have, do you know who you are? Do you know what happened to you? And then we have a decision to make. Do you want to live this way? It is most certainly your choice. I mean, in these movies you have like, or these TV shows, you have this person waking up and it's like, you know, we've, we've amputated both your legs and there's a choice between this or that. And do you want to live this way or do you want to live that way? You have a choice. We see two choices being made in this story by the people who encounter Jesus, right? The great sorrow and the greatest gift of God is free will. It is the great gift of the planet and it is also the great sadness of the planet because not everybody can be trusted to make a good choice, right? I know I want God to give me free will. I can be trusted to make good choices, right? But maybe I should also be in charge of bad people's free will. That's what I decided. If God would just let some people have free will and then make the decision for the people that are going to make bad choices, everything would be good, right? We wouldn't question God and his goodness because he would just take away the free will of some people, but that's not who God is. God is all about freedom. He would never enslave us. Satan wants to enslave us. God gives us choices. He loves us too much to, make, to do that for us. Everything God has ever done has been to create us and to give us the path to the most fulfillment and to be exactly who he made us to be in community with him. And then to free us when we have fallen into sin in this life and for all of eternity. But, and we can keep chasing the approval of others. We can keep chasing wealth. We can keep chasing power and position. And all of that will continue to leave us empty. We can make that choice. We can choose to go after those things, to go after the world, to go after what we think will make us happy, or we can choose to surrender to a God who brings healing and brings freedom. We can allow a legion. I don't think Satan wants to scare you with demons that are going to make you run and hide at the feet of Jesus. He wants to take a legion of distractions. He wants to distract you with relationships that might be going crash or might be going really good. He wants to distract you with your schedule that is bananas out of control. He wants to distract you with fighting with people online. You don't have to. He wants to distract you with what other people think about you and worrying about that. He wants to distract you with, with the things and the wealth and, and the, whatever other people are doing or your children or your family. He just wants to cover you up with a legion of things. And Jesus came to say, who are you? What do you want? Because it's your choice. We can be deceived or we can be like the man Jesus saved. When we look at Mark 5, there's two responses to Jesus. There's the man who was saved and there are the townspeople who saw it happen. It says they were afraid. 
And of course, we're like, I would never be like that. If God saves somebody that I've known to be crazy and to be scary my whole life, I would throw them a party. I would be the best friend they ever had. But instead, we see a real, real-time reaction. The power that it took to overcome the power within that man was terrifying to these people. And then when they saw that he took away what would amount to a lot of money, they asked him to leave. They chose wealth, they chose comfort, they chose normal over the miraculous, over freedom, over what Jesus offered. That's one choice. But then you have the man who was saved. And he begged to go with Jesus. And that has always broken my heart. That he won, I want to go with Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus. But you know what? Jesus knew he had a job to do. This man was a Gentile. If he went back with Jesus, it probably wasn't going to go so hot among the Jewish people. That's one thing. That's one small, small reason. But the bigger reason is this man could go minister to the people around him like nobody else could because they knew his story. And I love that this man isn't living like a Jew. He isn't trying to follow the law. He didn't know all the prophecies about Jesus. He didn't know all these things about the Messiah. We can assume he was just, you know, a heathen, living his life, trying to make the best of it for his family. And then Satan came in and ruined it. But he tries to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. The Decapolis was a big area. This guy became a traveling preacher. And the people were amazed. This man doesn't have a degree. He didn't have to go through a class. He didn't have to learn anything extra. He just had to know who he was, what happened to him, and then go tell people. And that's what I think God's asking us today. Do you know who you are? Do you know what I did for you? And are you ready to make a choice? I had this sermon all wrapped up, and then I was sitting in the car line, as one does when you pick up your kids from school for like five hours, it feels like. But I felt God telling me, and this is a word for you or for at least one person, either listening online or in this room, I think Satan has told you that your prison keeps you safe and has convinced you that there's nothing better for you and there is no peace for you. I think he's told you that it is not safe to be yourself. He's told you that Jesus is not for you. He wants you just to be different. He has told you that it is all on your shoulders and it is up to you to be good, to be strong, to be right, and to be successful. I think Satan has told you that your sin wasn't sin and that it's okay as long as people don't find out about it. I think he told you that God can't forgive you for what you did, for what you were a part of. I think Satan told you that the trauma was your fault and you should never tell anyone and you should live in shame. I think he told you that you're alone and you can't trust anyone and I think he told you you're stuck and nothing will ever change. I think he told you everything is crashing and fear and numbing yourself out is all you can do about it. 
And I'm here to tell you that you are loved, that you are chosen, that you were planned before the beginning of the world. I'm here to tell you that there is a grave that you can walk out of in the name of Jesus because he said so. I'm here to tell you there's nothing dirty about you and that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you get to trade the old creation for a new creation. I'm here to tell you that this is a church family that does not expect you to be perfect, but we get to come together and love each other and encourage and not stay the way that we came in. I'm here to tell you there's a God who loves you, who knows everything you did, will do, and was done to you and wants to walk you out of it. And we get to pray with each other. If you're listening online, just tap on that prayer chat button. There's somebody who has been praying about the opportunity to speak with you and pray over you. You don't have to tell them your whole story, but they want to pray with you. And if you are in this room, even with the way the world is, we have created a safe way for you to go get prayer. And it might be something that I touched on that God said, or it might be none of the above. You might be walking through something and you just need some encouragement and some prayer about it. During this song, please go and meet with somebody who wants to pray God's blessing and God's healing and God's encouragement over you because we are a family. We were created for community and even long distance here, we can do that. We can do that with each other. So let's come up to our feet. We're gonna do this last worship song and I just encourage you to be brave today. What question God has for you and to go get some prayer.